second week of our series that we're calling Unlocking the Music Vault. And it actually started last weekend, although we didn't have church at any of our campuses. Uh, we did live stream my message. It's really, really much better speaking to an empty auditorium. It's not threatening at all when I speak to an empty auditorium. But maybe you heard it, and maybe you were online, and this is, this, is, this is a series about sin. It's got a cool title. But at the end of the day, it's, it's about sin. It, it's not about the obvious sins and the blatant sins. It's not the Big Ten. It's not the adultery, the murder kind of sins. These are, these are subtle sins, sins that have a tendency to, be, uh, to remain locked up in the vault of our life. We just deal with them. We just accept them. In fact, we consider them maybe acceptable sins or respectable sins. And after a while, we begin to tolerate those sins. And so we're looking at a different one each week, and we're pairing it with a song from our culture because I've always said, if you want to know what our culture and how it feels about a specific issue, just listen to its music. Well, this weekend, we're going to talk about the topic of racism. We're going to talk about the topic of discrimination. And so we paired it with a James Taylor song, Shed a Little Light, and uh, they did a phenomenal job on it. But as you looked at the words, you thought, well, Mike, this is certainly something that culture and the church agrees on. I mean, we line up here that we've got to deal with this issue, and, and we do. But you may discover, as we look at the book of James, uh, that God has a little bit of a different way of how we deal with it as a church. Now, having said all of that, I want to start a little differently this weekend. I want you to just take a second and look around the auditorium. Look, look at the people in front of you. Look at the people. Turn around and look behind you. You've never seen it. You don't know what's going on behind you. Look at the people behind you. And then look at the people at the right. Look at the people at the left. People all over the place, all colors and shapes and sizes, okay? Now, here's the question. Aren't you glad the people sitting around you don't know how you really feel about them? And aren't you glad you don't know how they really feel about you? But that's what we're going to be talking about this weekend because even though we're in church, I think there's something in all of us, regardless of how long we've been Christians, where we categorize people, we draw conclusions, we judge people over stuff that when we think about it, it makes no sense whatsoever. And then to make matters worse, we have a tendency to avoid the people who aren't like us and we have a tendency to gravitate to the people who are like us and we become cliquish. And before long, it's us and them, and then it's those people, right? And, and I know when I say what I'm getting ready to say, it's going to offend some of you. That's never stopped me before, so let me just go ahead and say it. Even as Christians, let's be honest, our love has its limits. Even as Christians, our love has its reservations. You remember the song we used to sing as kids? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red, yellow, black, white. They're precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. You know why we used to sing that song? It's because God isn't interested in what's going on on the outward appearance of man. He doesn't care what our color of our skin is. He cares what's going on in the heart of mankind. That's why in the series we looked at not too long ago, we learned that God doesn't look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God is interested in the heart of man. But see, we meet someone and they're different. Maybe they look different. Maybe they talk different. Maybe they dress different. First-hand encounter. Most, if we're honest, most of the time those individuals don't even have a chance to get into our lives. I mean, if we're honest, most of us have a marvelous set of unspoken rules that you'd better live by if you want to be a part of our lives. I mean, when you think about it, we, we, we judge people on their achievements or their lack of achievement. We judge people on their appearance. We judge people on their age. Maybe, maybe they're young and so that we're suspicious. That maybe they're old and we think they're has-beens. In fact, we, we judge people on their ancestry. We will make decisions about individuals based on six pounds of epidermis. That's how much our skin weighs. We will look at someone, we will observe the color of their skin. And do you realize people are shot 
blown up, stabbed, mistreated, rejected just because their pigmentation is different or just because they're from a different country or just because they follow a different religion or heaven forbid they wear a burqa. And I want you to know this isn't something new. This is something that the church has been struggling with for 2,000 years which it came since it came into existence. But you know what? This weekend... We're going to tackle it head on. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to James chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, uh, we're going to put the verses up on the screen. You can always download the Get Hope app. You can follow along. All the verses will be right there. James chapter 2. By the way, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Interesting guy. Wrote an interesting book. And he addresses this topic, and he begins in James chapter 2, verse 1. He said, my brothers and sisters. Now, let me just warn you. He's setting us up, okay? My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He's setting us up, okay? Believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Literally, it says this in the Greek. If you claim to be a Christian, stop showing favoritism. Stop showing partiality. By the way, favoritism is simply choosing uh, to prefer certain people over, over other people just based on what your personal preference is. So you have favoritism, you have partiality. That would be one side of the coin. But understand, the other side of the coin would be prejudice. The other side of the coin would be discrimination. And deep down inside, we know it's not reasonable. We know it's not logical. But the fact is this. We choose to gravitate towards certain people who we have room for in our lives and we have a tendency to avoid other people. So James just starts out and he says, hey, Christians, don't do that. Don't show favoritism. Don't discriminate. And he says, for this reason, because as Christians, understand, you have been totally accepted by God in spite of your sin, in spite of your dysfunction, in spite of all of your broken promises. So don't turn around and reject other people based on dumb things that you would not want God to reject you over. I mean, think about this. What if God only accepted people with a certain IQ? Or what if God only accepted people with a certain amount of money? Or what if God didn't accept people if they had too much money? Or what if God only accepted blacks? What if God only accepted whites? What if God only accepted Jews? He could have done that, and for a while it looked like that, that's what he was going to do. But James comes along and says, maybe without even realizing it, you people in the church, you've established categories and separated yourself. And these are categories that God doesn't even recognize. And then he gives us an illustration beginning in verse two. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, which was a sign of wealth in the first century. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. And now James tells us what he means by favoritism. If you show special attention, that's favoritism. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, hey, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Literally, the word could be evil motives. He says in verse 4, you even become judges. You know what it means to judge? It means that simply you just draw a conclusion about someone. Now, as I said last week, and if you watched online, if you've been a Christian very long, you don't call it judging. So you call it discerning. But I want you to know it's judging. So James comes along and he says, you draw conclusions about each other with little or no information whatsoever. And to make matters worse, the standard that you're using to judge one another, it's not even a standard that God recognizes. So, so without even realizing it, you've set for yourself a higher standard than God. Now, just so you know, in our day and age, it's, it's not the poor rich thing so much, although it does exist. It's other things. In fact, I made a list of things 
where we judge, we discriminate. And, and it's gonna make you squirm a little bit. By the way, this is not my list. This is your list. I'm not brave enough nor secure enough to give you my list. So this is your list. So let me just give you guys your list. Some of you do resent rich people. Especially if they didn't earn it, they inherited it. I've met people like that. They feel like they shouldn't have that money. They didn't earn it. You resent them. You think they're entitled. You think that they're snobs. Some people resent poor people. Some of you think all poor people are lazy. They just don't work very hard. Some people, if you're honest, you don't like people who are overweight. Some of you don't like skinny people. Some of you don't like black people. You wouldn't say it, but it's true. Some of you don't like white people. Some of you don't like Asians. You think they're all bad drivers. Some of you don't th like Muslims. You think they're all, they're all terrorists. Some of you don't like Latinos. You think they're all here illegally. Some of you are still living in the Civil War era. era. Some of you in the South, you don't like Northerners. You think they're arrogant and obnoxious. Some of you from the North, you don't like Southerners. You think they're rednecks who just fell off the turnip truck. Some of you don't like Democrats. You put them all in one big category, you've determined they have no moral values. Some of you don't like Republicans. You put them all in one category, and in your mind, they have no compassion. Some of you have an attitude against divorced people. Some of you have an attitude against single moms. You get together with your other wives, friends, and you say, yeah, I wonder what she did, right? Some of you don't like stay-at-home moms. You kind of have the attitude, of course she stays at home. You know, what else can she do? Some of you have an attitude against stay-at-home dads. You men, you meet a stay-at-home dad, you think, wow, is he henpecked? Is he whipped, right? Some of you don't like working moms. You think, wow, she really loved her kids. Some of you don't respect parents who send their kids to public school. Some of you don't respect parents who send their kids to private school. Some of you don't respect parents who homeschool. Some of you don't like artsy people. If you see a guy who's artsy, you automatically assume he's gay. Some of you just don't like gay people, period. Some of you don't like people with tattoos. That's stupid. You just need to get over that right now, right? <laughs> Some of you don't like people with lots of kids. You think they're being irresponsible. Some of you don't like people with one or two kids. You think that they're selfish and that they've limited God. And I could go on and on and on. But let me just say this. You will not come to this church very long until you bump into someone who represents a category that you don't like. And I think that as God sits back in heaven and he, as he observes this, he must be thinking, now let me get this straight. You were dying, you were going to hell, you were sinning, you were doing all kinds of bad stuff, so I bailed you out, I forgave you, I gave you the promise of eternal life with me. Even after I did that, you continued to obey me. You still got in all kinds of trouble, you still lose your temper, you still lust, I still forgive you, and then you have the audacity to turn around and to discriminate against another person based on your political preference, your school choice, your skin color, your nationality, your religion, really? And I think God is like, what if I treated you that way? What if I accepted or rejected you based on your income or your IQ, your skill level, your skin color? See, I think if that were the case, we'd say, oh, God, I get what you're saying. I am so, 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 so sorry. And see, I think that's the point that James is trying to make. I think that he is saying as Christians, we, we need to feel convicted about this. We are the body of Christ. Every one of us created in his image. God has gone to incredible lengths to make it possible 
for us to be one. But I'm telling you, it is in you and it's in me to split us up. And sometimes we don't even mean for it to, but it leaks into what we say and it leaks into what we do. Now, thankfully, James gives us a solution for the problem in verse 8. And it's a little different from what the world would say. Because, you know, I was part of Dream Fest this weekend. Uh, it was how can we bring racial reconciliation? And if you talk to a lot of people, it's as simple as, well, you got to talk more about rec- racial reconciliation and diversity training and social justice. And we got to have sensitivity training. we got to do all of these things. And those things are all good. We need to do those things. But the reality is this. Until you deal with the heart, until you deal with the core of mankind, that's just a Band-Aid. you got to deal first with the heart. I mean, it's like I've said before, you can go out in the backyard and get your pet pig out of the mud and bring him in. You bring that pig in, put him in the shower, shower that pig, exfoliate that pig, paint his toenails and lips, put false eyelashes on that pig and a big bow between its ear. But I tell you what, you let that pig go back into the yard, it's going to go right back to the mud. You know why? Because at the heart of a pig is a pig. And at the heart of a racist is a racist. And at the heart of a bigot is a bigot. And so those other things are great in time. I mean, even here at Hope, even after you've been exposed to the gospel and your heart has been changed, we have classes so that you can relate better as a husband, a wife, or as a parent, as a child. We have those kinds of classes. There's certainly nothing wrong with those opportunities to improve in this area. But you gotta deal with the core. And so thankfully, James gives us a solution. He says in verse eight, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Simply this, James says, when you run into a person that you don't like, that typically you judge, maybe you often avoid, James says, you just love that person the way you would want your neighbor to love you. Pretty simple. If you do that, that will solve the problem. In other words, instead of seeing color and age and financial status or single, married, divorced, gay, whatever it is, you know what you do? You see yourself. And you decide, I'm gonna love that person the way I want to be loved. And James says, if you'll just do that, If you'll just do that as Christians, this will fix the problem. By the way, do you know where that came from? Originally, this goes all the way back to the book of Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, okay? All the do's, the don'ts, all the things that confuses us. That's where we usually stop reading through the Bible. It goes all the way back to Leviticus as part of the law. But one day while Jesus was on the earth, he was walking around and the religious leaders of the day, they cornered him and they were constantly trying to set Jesus up into a situation he wouldn't know the answer to, right? Good luck with that. And one time they, they, they cornered Jesus and said, Jesus, do us a favor. If you can, could you sum up the Old Testament? How would you like to get that question in your small group or your Bible class? Could you just sum up the Old Testament? And Jesus said, well, I can do that. First of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And it was as if Jesus was was saying, listen, if you forget everything else I've talked about, if you forget everything else I've taught you, make sure you remember those two commandments. And most of us, we would say that we believe that we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we believe that you should love your neighbor as yourself. But as we all know, it's one thing to say we believe it. It's a totally different thing to actually live that way. But I think what James is saying to us is when you begin to live out what you say you believe, it's going to eliminate your tendency to be prejudiced, to show partiality, to discriminate. And then just in case we still haven't gotten it, James says in verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, if you discriminate, look at what it says, you... Sin. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. 
I'm not sure I've ever confessed this as a sin. I'm not sure I've ever prayed, God, would you please forgive me for having a bad attitude toward whatever category of people it is. I'm not sure I've ever prayed that. But I think what James wants us to understand is it's is, is not, hey, you know what, guys, come on, we just got to be better in this area. I think it's a lot more James wants us to understand that, come on, guys, we just shouldn't feel this way. James says, you need to understand when you judge other people, when you discriminate, you sin. Verse 9, but if you show favoritism, if you discriminate, that's the opposite side of the coin, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. What does that mean? It means, in other words, when you show partiality, when you discriminate, you are breaking the second commandment. That's the law you've broken. And it makes you a lawbreaker, which means you are a sinner. And I think when we do that, God must be like, wow, I only gave you two laws to focus on. You, you would think you'd be able to, you know, to keep just two laws. Forget 10. Could you just do the two, right? Verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, and here it is, people, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Implication. If you show partiality, if you discriminate, you become a lawbreaker. Are you ready now? Right up there with those who commit adultery. From God's perspective, right up there with those who commit murder. Not acceptable. It's not respectable. It's not tolerable. James says it's a sin, people. It's a sin. You got to deal with it. Now, here's the good news. I don't really know of any examples of this from our church. I've never heard someone say, you know what, I, I came in a Jag and they put, let me park right up front. Or somebody say, I, I drove a Prius and they made me park in the gravel lot across the street. I've never heard that. No one's ever come up to me and say, hey, I'm white, I get a good seat. Or someone black or Hispanic or whatever say, you know what, they made me stand in the balcony. I've, I've never heard that, but you know what? I think if we're honest, it's in our hearts. It's in my heart. And every once in a while it rears its head, right? And I don't like it. In fact, I hate it. But I have never thought of it as a sin. You know what we do? That's just the way I am. That's just how I was raised. That's just the part of the country I'm from. That's just how I grew up. But see, James says, hey, for the sake of the health of the church, call it what it is. For the sake of the health of humanity, call it what it is. For, for, the, health, for, the, for, for the sake of the health of this world that God so loved that he sent his only begotten son to die for, call it what it is. It's sin. It's sin. And then he says, deal with it. Deal with it. Just like you would any other sin, deal with it. And if James hasn't said enough, he continues in verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. In other words, he says, this will help you. Quit judging and remember that you're gonna be judged. In other words, when you get ready to discriminate, when you get ready to show partiality or judge someone, why don't you focus on the fact that one day, one day, I'm gonna stand before God. 
And he says, you're going to stand there, and you're going to stand there with all the people who are rich in faith. And if you haven't learned to value what God values, you're going to look like an idiot. Because, see, you're going to be standing there with the people that maybe you've written off, maybe you've avoided, maybe the very people that you spent your life hating. And they, when you get to heaven, you may find out because you didn't know their heart, they may be the very ones who are rich in faith. And they're going to be sitting in the VIP section. And you're going to be standing in the back. And you're going to feel like the biggest dummy in the world. So James says, hey, make sure you live your life as one who's going to be judged not as one who's doing the judging. And then he gives us the why in verse 13. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Wow. You know what that means? See, when I stand before God, I can take one thing I'm gonna want, mercy. I'm gonna be like, give me the mercy. Mercy, 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 mercy. God, give me mercy. But this is what God's saying. If you lived your life as one who judged people, discriminated against people, showed partiality and favoritism and you judge them and you didn't show mercy, God says, mm, I'm not sure I'm going to have a lot of mercy on you. I don't know about you, but that, that gets my attention. Now, it's great that this may not be a huge issue in our congregation, but we cannot just limit this to our church body. Because to see, as Christians, we have to address the issue of racism, prejudice, discrimination, as it impacts our culture, as it impacts our neighborhood, our society, as it impacts our world. It is, it is Martin Luther King weekend. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, in the end, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And for those of us who are to fulfill the royal law, let me tell you, the church cannot be silent. I can tell you, part of the problem in our culture today is the church has been way too silent for so many years. So we have to address this head on. We have to call it what it is, it's sin. And we have to be a part of the solution. So this weekend, I want to get us moving in that direction. So I have a couple of guests who are going to come out and join me for a couple of minutes. Chris, if you would come on out here. Darrell, if you would come on out here. You, many of you know Chris Jones. He is our pastor at our Ship of Zion campus in downtown Raleigh. Darrell, he's our new Raleigh campus pastor. Would you welcome these guys to the stage? These are some incredible, incredible, incredible guys. And guys, thank you so much because this is kind of a first step for us. And uh, uh, I just want to, first of all, I want to give these guys a chance to get to know you, okay? Just, so just, just give them a little, a little capsule of, of, of your background, where you come from, Chris. Well, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Came out of Brooklyn, New York at a young age. When I was there in New York, um, my father died when I was there. But when we were living there, we would always have to be, um, on the weekends, have to leave Brooklyn to go to Queens because the gangs would come through and turn over cars. And the way they could protect us was to get us out. And then after my father died, then my mother moved us to South Raleigh. And South Raleigh was just as bad. Everybody I grew up with around there, uh, they were either dealing drugs or doing drugs. So even in the summertime there, uh, my mom, she would send us to South Carolina to kind of keep us away from there. But then there was the alcoholism of, of grandparents and that kind of thing. So um, it was kind of a tough upbringing, but praise God we made it through. And Dorrell, you, would, you, you guys are both black. Can we agree on that? So let me check. Okay. So. But yeah, you couldn't be more different. So give us a little idea of, 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 of where you're from, your background. Yeah. Well, I just want to say first, it's an honor uh, to be up here this weekend. I got, my wife and I got the chance to hear uh, Mike and Gary that this weekend at the MLK Dream, Dream Fest in downtown Cary. 
And let me tell you something, you would have been so proud of your pastor, the way he handled uh, tough questions from the audience and how he articulated the vision here at Hope and what we're doing to change and heal the divide in, when it comes to race relations. So I just want to say that real quick. And, and uh, yeah, but no, um, yeah, I, I grew up in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, Daddy was a news anchorman and a professor. And uh, middle, ca- middle class, nice, nice town if you've ever been there, great beach. And, uh, and, and grew up in a predominantly white majority culture high school, middle school. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting because the school uh, was predominantly white, but they would bus in hundreds of students, black students from another, another part of town. And so I grew up in between two worlds. I mean, I had, you know, because I ran cross country, uh, predominantly white sport, I had friends who were white and then I had friends who were black, you know, and, and my friends who were white, you know, the question wasn't, am I going to go to college? The question was, is Dartmouth too small or is Harvard too big for me? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and then other, my other friends, you know, I remember asking a buddy named Terrence at lunch one time. I was like, man, where are you going to school next year, man? And uh, he's a black friend of mine. He's like, he's like, man, I'm going to BYU. I was like, oh, interesting. Mormons, okay. Yeah, Brigham Young. I heard Utah's beautiful. He's like, Psst, I ain't going to buy Utah. I'm going to Backyard University. <laughs> and so, it, 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 again, it was a stark contrast. It was really interesting and different growing in this, uh, up in those two worlds. And, uh, uh, yeah. But, but regardless how different your, your upbringing is and your background, the one thing is that we said you have in common is, is you're black. You're an African-American in a pretty much a white America. And it's interesting, having grown up in Durham and went to a predominantly African-American high school, historically African-American high school, uh, one of the few whites there, I knew that early on because when I would go to lunch with my, with my black friends, we'd go into a place, we'd walk into a re- somewhere, and no one ever bothered me, but they got the, what are you doing here? What, yeah, can I help you find something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were pretty much stalked the whole time that they walked around the store. So I picked up right early on, while there's a difference we may not want to admit it, but there's actually, there's actually a difference. And here's the problem. When we're different and we're miles apart, mm. the further you are apart, the easier the solution looks like. Mm-hmm. For example, if you come to me and say, I'm having marriage problems and I don't know you, I might say, well, you just do this, 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 and you should be fine. But if I really get to know you and know your heart and I find the history and I find out what's going on in the background, I find the hurt and the pain, the disappointment, all of a sudden I realize, wow, it's not quite that simple just to fix, right? So I want to ask you guys, um, as you think back, and, and, and you have, you're going to be talking about 11,000, 12,000 people this weekend, plus on the internet, you guys ought to get to church. And... Um, <laughs> But what is it we need to know about being a black man in America that maybe we, we just don't understand? Mm. Well, well, the first thing, Pastor Mike, there is a difference. There is a difference in being black in America. You know, a lot of things we have going on uh, with the police officers and that kind of thing. Um, just Thursday, uh, my son, he's in, um, in Georgia, and he's down there in football camp. And Thursday, he called me from down there, and he had me on FaceTime. And I could tell he had his phone in his lap. And his phone's in his lap, and he said, hey, the police stopped me. And I was like, why? He said, I don't know. And I heard the police officer come to the, to the um, door, and he said, I thought you didn't have your seatbelt on. He said, I, um, well, I thought you might have been speeding. My son said, why'd you stop me? He said, I thought you might have been speeding. I told him, I said, hey, don't say nothing, don't say nothing, don't say nothing. And I'm trying to tell my son, don't say anything back to him. The officer goes back, and he comes back and tell him, make sure you're wearing your seatbelt and slow down. And so, you know, just in black America, with the things that have been going on with police officers and those kind of things, mm-hmm. we have to, we're, we're very... Um, I have to say, fearful 
when our children get stopped by the police, um, we have to tell our children, you know, just don't say anything, you know. Um, there's a fear that um, they could be shot at any time. And, and sometimes people say, well, if they stop doing this or stop doing that. But even me, when I don't even commit crimes, I still have to deal with that same fear. Um, today we had our community day. And while we was at our community day today, you know, police just started coming to our community day, something we've been doing for 16 years in Southeast Raleigh. And police just came out and they would call me by my name. And I said, well, what's going on? Why are you guys here? And they was like, well, Pastor Chris, we're here for you. And I noticed how they was walking around and watching. Now, if you do an outreach here, police come, they're going to be just with you and helping you. Mm-hmm. But they were riding around their cars and they was watching as we were trying to serve people. And those things are different. Those things, they do bring about fear in us when we have to deal with, you know, police officers mm-hmm. in, in that sense. So there, there's some differences, man. It's, it's interesting. Different. I heard an African-American man saying that uh, when his kids were getting close to driving, he, he said, don't ever take anything out of your pocket. Even if the policeman asked you for your wallet, you let him get it. And I'm thinking, white families, we don't have that conversation. You know what we tell our kids? Be respectful. The policeman is your friend. And make sure you're all the way out of the traffic. Don't block. I mean, that's about us. That's, that, that's about, but see, we're, we don't, we don't even, we can't even understand and comprehend that you have to think differently mm-hmm. because there's a little bit of a history here. Darrell, how about, how about from you? Yeah, yeah, sure. There, there's a lot of pain. Uh, because we grew up in a predominantly white majority culture world, uh, mom and dad made sure that I knew my history, uh, American history, uh, but also history of the uh, uh, black people in America. Um, it, it, that was important. They, all would, they would always say to me, those who uh, fail to l- learn the lessons from history are destined and doomed to repeat its mistakes. Uh, and so they were, they were, make, they, they were so, so uh, it was very important to them that I learned um, kind of my ancestry and my history. Uh, and uh, what I learned and, and what I continue to learn is that, you know, it's important to feel and understand the weight of history the weight of historical injustice. Uh, and, and when we see pain that people of color experience and manifest, we have to understand that there's a historic wounding behind that. So when Ferguson happens or Baton Rouge happens or Minneapolis, and you see this anger and frustration, that a lot of that is tied to this historic wounding. Uh, and, 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 and we're still seeing the harmful effects of that historic wounding of systemic racism, educationally, economically, socially. Uh, and, and so it, it's interesting. I'm married to a white woman, you know, and surprise, she comes from a white family. That's and, incredible. Yeah, yeah, she does. Well, they, what are the odds of that? I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, that's so cool. Wow. Oh, I like white people. No, it was great. Uh, and um, she, you know, it's interesting. We've had some really interesting conversations during our four years of marriage uh, with them. And, and they're sweet. They love me. And, uh, and I love them, but I, I've got white friends, and, and, and I try to, they, sometimes they just don't understand the pain and frustration that some folks in the black community feel. And I'll tell them, listen, there is a particular sense of communal mourning uh, that many in the black community feel. And a lot of that is tied, again, to historic wounding, uh, 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 this, this, this historical injustice, and that generational and tribal pain is there. So when you are faced with that, when you see that, just give them grace. Not to excuse uh, uh, horrible behavior, but extend grace because there is a deeper pain that's there and that comes from the history of, of what uh, injustice and loss that some African, many African-Americans experience in America. I'm so honored to have both of you on staff with me and what a joy it is to serve with you. But 
What advice could you give us as a congregation as we become more intentional? You know, when I moved here, I wanted a community church, not a white church. I wanted a, a church that reflected our community, and, and that's happening at Hope. But as we continue to move in that direction, what are some things that we can continue to do that would help us accomplish that goal of bringing that oneness that well, God I, intended us to I do? actually think that you're doing a great job here at Hope, mm -hmm. um, with, you know, bringing people like Darrell on staff and, and having, you know, diverse leaders um, that will come to show the diversity of the church, um, coming along beside us and, and joining with us. And it actually has helped us to become more diverse even at, at our church with Hawaiian families and white families, you know, joining our church. So I think we're doing a great job here. But I think also it goes back to what you said in your message. It goes down to the core of each person, each individual, mm -hmm. that they would look inside of themselves and right. see what prejudice that they have in themselves and be real about it and call it sin when it's sin and deal with, with within themselves. And when we begin to do that as a congregation, we'll see that we'll grow stronger together. Great. And that's what great. we need to be doing. Darrell. It's great, Chris. You know, it's MLK Weekend. And in, in, in a speech in May 1966, MLK said that our goal is to create a beloved community. And for that to happen, it's going to take a qualitative change in our soul and a quantitative change in our lives. And how do we get that qualitative change in our soul, folks? It's the gospel. I need the gospel every day. I need to die to myself, my pride, my ambition, my anger. I need to be reminded of what Jesus did for me. So number one, the gospel's got to meet you every day. You got to get there. Number two, I think it's important to engage with people that look differently than you. And when you do engage and get to know them, when there's pain that's there that comes from some type of traumatic event in our nation or maybe something personally, ju don't judge the pain, but join with the tears. I, I was, I'll never forget, uh, I was 14 years old on my way to a cross-country camp in Brevard, North Carolina. And uh, my friends and I, we were in Macon, Georgia, and uh, we stopped uh, at Denny's, and we were uh, getting some food. You know, teenagers are hungry all the time. <laughs> and, um, and we were walking back to our hotel room, and these two guys in a red pickup truck drove by us uh, kind of slow, and I thought it was interesting. And then they turned around the corner and drove back. And I, I, I kind of felt something bad was going to happen. I'll, I'll never forget, I, I had a little uh, sweater, and I put my uh, hood over my, my, my head, and I got in the middle between my friends, about eight of us, all, they're all white. And these guys in this pickup truck rolled down their window and they screamed and yelled the N-word at me all down the road for several minutes. And it was the most embarrassing situation I've ever been in. I felt so ashamed. I felt so hurt, so, so embarrassed. And I just tears streamed, hood on, got back to the hotel room. None of my teammates said anything. Bless their heart, they were kids. I mean, they, what, what were they, gonna, they didn't know what to say. And I got in the bed and just crying. I, did, I, I, I was just in shock. And this one guy who was a believer, his name was Corbin. He, he wasn't even a part of our high school. He went to another high school in town. But he comes up, walks around the side of the room, grabs my shoulder, and tears in his eye. I'll never forget it. Tears in his eye looks at me and said, are you Okay. I want to let you know that what happened right there was wrong, and I stand with you. He embraced me, and we cried. And in that moment where my emotional bones were broken, innocence was being robbed, God used a 16-year-old who loved Jesus and was saying, you know what, you may have tears, you may have hurt, but I'm standing with you. And we've got to do that. Instead of judging people's tears or 
questioning why you feel that way, do we join with them and weep with them? The Bible says that blessed are those who are mourn, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I thank God that I had someone that comforted me in my time of mourning. So we got to make sure that we comfort people when they are hurting and when they come in and we're getting to know them and we see that pain. Let's join with them and lend a shoulder for them to cry on. I think that's important. Would you let these guys know how much we appreciate them being a part of our family, sharing with this weekend? Thank you, man. Let me just wrap it up by leaving you with three things. As we think back to James and what James says, first of all, at Hope, let the gospel be our standard, not our heritage. Let the gospel be our standard. You know why the gospel is so important? It taught us how to be loved, accepted, and forgiven. And then God said this, love as you've been loved, forgive as you've been forgiven, accept as you've been accepted. And that may sound cliche, but let me tell you something. In Acts chapter two, right after the resurrection of Jesus, after he died on the cross for our sins, and he ascended back to heaven, you know what Peter did? He went out in the streets of Jerusalem and shared the gospel of how it could change your life. 3,000 people converted to Christianity that day. You cannot believe the diversity and the hatred that was in that group. The Jews hated the Gentiles because they, they, they called them dogs. The Gentiles hated the Jews because they thought the Jews thought they were better than everybody else. Slaves hated the masters. You had free, I mean, it was just that you have Scythians and barbarians who hated each other. These people hated each other for centuries. Jews didn't, never went into a Gentile's home. A Gentile's home was never allowed into a Jew home. Guess what? By Acts chapter 10, Peter, a Jew, is in the home of Cornelius, a Gentile, sharing the gospel. And all of his family and all of his household become Christians and Peter baptizes them. You get to Colossians chapter three and this is what it says. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And see, this is what I think. If that could happen in the first century, it can happen in our day. Let the gospel be our standard, not our heritage. Second, let love be our law. Love your neighbors yourself. And when you see that individual that's different than you, why don't you, before you judge, say, hmm, I wonder how I could help this person. I wonder how I could show them that I love them. I will never forget the morning after 9-11. I was walking through my neighborhood and I was so impressed on my God, so impressed on me, how many people living in America must be fearful of their life because somehow they were gonna be mistaken as a terrorist. And I remember walking through my neighborhood, and I'm, I'm not all that bright, you know. Anybody that had remotely brown skin or darker, I didn't know if they were Hispanic, Latino, Muslim, Italian. I didn't know if they just got from Miami Beach and had a great tan, you know, I didn't know. I went out of my way to stop and have a conversation with them. I wanted them to know as my neighbors, there is room in my life for you. So let's let love be the law, not judging. And then this is the last one. Let mercy be your message. Remember what James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. This isn't just a black and white thing. This is much bigger. I have friends who have gay sons, and I guarantee you as Dorel was sharing his experience, they were thinking, yeah, we live with that fear every day. But if we really are gonna live up to our mission of accepting people where they are, it starts with letting mercy be our message. My dad had a stroke, I shared with you before the holidays, and he's getting it back together. He's still pretty weak on his left side, and he's having some cognitive issues, and 
and I share some of that with you. But one day during the holidays, he asked me to take him to the grocery store. So I went and picked him up and took him. And, and I, I wanted to let him do as much as he could. I didn't want to help him because he's a very independent, strong man. And I didn't want him to feel like I had to do everything for him. And so he's working his way with the grocery cart. And we come to the end of an aisle. And there's a display. And there's another cart. And he's trying to, he's trying to get that cart to where it will go through that little opening and he's weak on his left side so he's having a little bit of difficulty and we're right at the end of the aisle and sure enough, here comes another cart. I see it coming around the corner the other way and I'm like, oh great. Somebody's probably in a hurry and and before I could do anything, it was this incredibly gracious African-American lady, probably about my age, maybe a little older. And before I could say a word, she reached out and took the front of my dad's cart and she said, I tell you what, sir, I'll help you and you help me. And she helped his cart, and my dad reached out and helped her cart, and they passed. And when, I'm telling you, three more aisles over, I was so blown away by that encounter. It just so pulled at my heart. I went and found her in the grocery store. <clears throat> and I said, you don't know this, but my dad, he just had a stroke, and he's just starting to recover. And he's just figuring some of these things out. I said, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. And she said, we're all God's children. Isn't that what it's all about? And I mean, we had a little love fest going on right there in aisle three of Kroger's, you know, out in Roxborough Road in Durham. But I thought, what if we just took the attitude, how can I help you? How can you help me? I'm telling you, that's where it starts. Let me just ask you, who's on your hate list? Who's on your hate list? It's a sin. Get it out of the vault of your life. Confess it. And ask God to give you an opportunity to prove it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love to us. Thank us that through your gospel, your grace, we can, be, we can love as we've been loved and we can accept as we've been accepted. And we can forgive as we've been forgiven. Teach us to let love be the law. Let mercy be our guide. And Father, may it start even right here in the triangle with this church that there's a place whose mission is to live this out in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces. And may people see the light of you through us. And may it heal our land. May it heal our community. Father, help us to confess it for what it is, to quit justifying it and tolerating it, but deal with it and deal with it severely so that we can be the people that you've called us to be. In your name we pray, amen.